As a sophomore in college, I felt like the Lord led me to sign up to go on a two-month summer-long mission trip to the Philippines. And a lot of my middle school students, they out here today? Any middle school students in the room? Okay, so it's a couple hands. All right, all right. You can get loud in here. You can be like the middle school room still, all right? I had talked about this story many times with the middle school students because this summer rocked my world, changed my life. I had signed up for two months to the Philippines, and we were going to play basketball every day sharing the gospel. And so I didn't know much about this trip. I just knew it was the most attractive one on the list. So click, signed up, and I was headed there for the summer. We show up, and my team, honestly, they feel like we're in the honeymoon stage of this whole mission trip. The first few days, we are riding in graffitied buses, and we are on the back of motorcycles that typically seat one to two people, but we are definitely putting three to four on the back of this bad boy. And we're taking pictures of everything. Like, this palm tree looks so much different than the last 42 we just passed, but everything's just new and exciting and fun, right? Well, we finally landed, after three days, we landed into the village we're gonna be staying at for the next two months and the switch flipped. I remember I woke up at 5.30 in the morning, at, not because I'm a morning person, because the roosters were crowing before the sun was up, and I was getting up off of this mat that I had just slept on that is about two and a half inches tall and about slightly less wide than my shoulders all night long. It was soaking wet, not because I had an accident, but because it was sweaty in the Philippines, okay? It was hot. So I get up and I grab the bar of soap and I'm taking my first ever bucket bath where you fill up a bucket of water and you pour it on you and you put some bar of soap on you and that's your bath for the day. I come out and I grab my chacos, I put them on my feet and I make the sweaty walk over to the local market. And I'm gonna be honest, I use the word market very loosely. You roll up and there's just all the meats you could pick from local vendors hanging all around you. Yeah. So you don't have to worry if you're food is farm fresh or if it lived a full life from its feet to its beak, it's right there in front of you, right? And so you pick what you want for breakfast and we head back to our home and I'm not making this up. I get back and say, let's start cooking. They say, well, we need to start a fire, like with sticks and matches and stones and stuff, you know, like you have to be a boy scout for this mission trip apparently. So we start the fire, we cook breakfast and then they say, now it's time for us to wash our clothes and my millennial hands were not ready to hand wash my socks and my shirts for the rest of that summer. I remember that very first day, I literally laid down on my very small mat that night, sweaty from head to toe, and I'm looking up at lizards crawling on the ceiling and thinking to myself, there is no way I can do 52 more days of this. How long until this summer is over? And all of us have been there before, right? Where you are saying, this is not what I signed up for. These cards that I'm dealt are not what I want to play with. What do I do in this moment? Well, today we're gonna look at Psalm 13 from King David. It is a short psalm, but this is a long sermon. I'm just kidding. No, it's a, it's a rich psalm here by King David, and I am thrilled to jump into it with you because here's what we see. David shows us how do we as the church followers of Jesus, Christians, sons and daughters of the Most High King, how do we deal with the difficult days? So let's look at Psalm 13 as we jump into this text. I am pumped to jump in with you guys, starting in verse one and two. David cries out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You see, David is going through it here, man. He is letting it rip with the Lord, just telling him about what is going on in his heart. He says, God, I feel like you have abandoned me. You have forgotten me. He says, I feel like God is avoiding me. He is hiding his face from me. He is being open with the Lord about his real struggle. And then he says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? Meaning, how long will I have to continue to think through and process this moment, this difficult season in my own head? How long am I processing in my own heart? He says, not only does he take counsel in his soul, but he also has sorrow in his heart. And the sorrow here is not just saying you pulled up to McDonald's and the ice cream machine is broken and you're sad tonight. It is real, deep-seated pain, anguish. It is affecting him both emotionally and physically. This man's world is being rocked right now in a real way. And he finishes that sentence by saying, this happens all the day, every single day. I am processing and working through this. Talk about bad days. He's saying the bad days keep coming and then he finishes with saying the bad guys just keep winning. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Anyone out there ever felt this way? David, what we're gonna walk through here shows us how to wrestle well. And if you're taking notes today, the first thing we write down is wrestle. That is what David is doing here. He is processing and working through and laying it out with the Lord. He is saying, here are my emotions, here are my feelings, here is what I'm working through, here is my pain, and I'm gonna lay it before you today. Charles Spurgeon says, it is impossible to know exactly where in David's life he was writing Psalm 13. We can only speculate what Goliath actually stood in front of him in this moment. Was it Saul when he held a spear in his hand, ready to pin him against the wall? Was it the enemies and the nations that were surrounding David who were seeking his own life and blood? Or was it his own flesh and blood who were seeking his life to take the kingdom? We don't know. But we know this is that David gives us a clear example to follow when the struggle is real. There's two components to what he gives us in this first two verses about wrestling well. The first one is this, we must be honest in the struggle. You see, David here is being real transparent with almost too honest. You know what I'm saying here? He's just letting it fly with the Lord. He's saying, I've got beef vertically with you, Lord. How long will you forget me and you hide your face from me? He's saying, I got beef internally. How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long must I have sorrow in my heart? And then he says, I've got issues with people horizontally as well. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's got it all going on but he lays it out honest before the Lord. He is transparent with the Lord about what he is walking through. And here's where we can mess up. We can stay in the camp of being honest and we can miss the next part, but here's what we see from David. He's not just honest in the struggle, he is humble in the struggle because he says, how long, O Lord? You see, David respects and honors and is looking to the one who knows, who he knows has authority and is sovereign in the middle of this. 
You see, my sister, she's right here with us, her name's Amanda, she's got four kids up here, aging anywhere from age six all the way to 13, and they take trips all the time, and uh, one of the places they love to go is um, Florida. And I'll be honest, on the road trips, they always have one of their kids, probably Mac, who is gonna say, how long, mom, knowing she's the one in charge in the front seats, how long, mom, until we get there? And Amanda's not gonna turn around and say, zip it, you know? Some of you are like, that's what my mom did. That's exactly what she said. Yeah, I'm resonating with that one big time. No, she's gonna say, hey, we're gonna be this way. They're gonna be this far away. Or, hey, do you wanna put on a movie? Or, and if it gets dicey in the back seat, she's gonna pull over. She's gonna go to a gas, not like pull over, like get the belt off kind of place. She's gonna pull over and she's gonna pull into a gas station and they're gonna go to the restroom and they're gonna get some candy and a Dr. Pepper and they're gonna be set. And because she knows, hey, Mom knows that the eight-hour drive is a long way. She knows that. But she also knows that just on the other side are the sandy beaches of Destin that they're gonna love and enjoy when they get there. I'm gonna be honest. In the struggle, we have to approach the Lord in the same way that kids would with their mom in the front seat. We gotta approach it with saying, Lord, you're in charge though. And I trust you and I'm looking to you for help in the middle of this. I wasn't gonna tell this story with you guys, but my roommate Riley, he said, dude, you gotta share this. These aren't your middle school students, these are adults, and they're gonna resonate with this story more than anything you say all day long. So here goes to being honest. A few weeks ago, I injured myself. There you go, a couple dads in the room. Yeah, y'all are like, okay, I'm resonating with you there. I, uh, I was playing basketball, I took a wrong move, and I hurt my knee. I went and got an MRI and an X-ray, the next day, and I'm sitting in there for those five days of waiting, kind of like, all right, what are the results gonna be? Next thing you know, I'm sitting knee to knee with the doc, and he says, son, you've torn your ACL, and you're gonna be out of sports, really, to probably spring 2023. My life was rocked. My first thought was no more pickleball, which I have grown to love, all right? Anybody play pickleball out there? Anybody love pickleball? My mom and dad and 10 other people. Cool, 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 yeah, yeah. Someone said it's the fastest growing sport in the United States of America. I believe it. I don't know if you do or not, but I believe it. I feel like it's true. It sounds true, uh, but uh, I, I love it. When I got the news from the doc that I've messed up my knee and I was gonna be out for a couple months, I just thought to myself, man, that means no more going on trips out west with my family, no more golf with my dad this fall, no running the St. Jude in the winter. I just was going through it. And I'll give you the honest peek behind the curtain into my quiet time the next day, I was just talking to the Lord and I said, Lord, you know I love sports. You know I love to compete. You know I love to play. How could you allow me to be sidelined for six to eight months? I was just being honest with the Lord. I wasn't trying to poke my chest out and be beefy with it, I just was being honest. I don't know the answer in that yet but I'm trusting the Lord. I'm gonna lay it out and be honest with him. And I think that's what David is doing right here with him as well. And I think that's what he's inviting and modeling for us to do, every one of us. My issue is gonna be healed in a few months. Some of you are walking through the thick of it right now. And you're dealing with a lot more than just a couple months on the sideline. You have sat in the doctor's office receiving results that would change the rest of your life or you've sat in your car on the way home from work wondering, is this really the job that God has for me for the rest of my life? 
or you've sat in the living room with your spouse trying to figure out how in the world are you gonna raise a teenager in this generation? Or you sat in the funeral home wondering how is life gonna go on without this loved one around you? You're probably like David and you're saying, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face? Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? And will the enemy prevail? How long, O oh Lord? Right now, you've shown up maybe today and you've had the same worries, the same frustrations, and the same hurts you've been carrying for Sunday after Sunday. And you're here today saying, my joy is at an all-time low and my loneliness is at an all-time high. You're saying, I'm struggling not just in my marriage, but also in my finances, or I'm struggling with loss of a loved one, or I'm struggling with the loss of a job. You are going through it. I'm here to encourage you that aside from Jesus, there is no one I know of in all of Scripture that can resonate more with your highs and more with your lows than King David himself. And he paints a picture here in Psalm 13 saying, if you want to wrestle well, it begins by being honest and being humble before the Lord. Praise the Lord, though, that David doesn't stay in verse one and two. He continues to show us how to wrestle well, and it is paired with retreating to the Lord. If you're taking notes today, the second thing is retreat. We're gonna look at that in verse three and four. As David says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foe rejoice because I am shaken. David gives us three things in his retreating here. As he lays his request at the feet of Jesus, he gives us three things. The first thing is this. David's prayer is personal. Oh, Lord, my God. This is his friend. This is his refuge, his rock, his redeemer. They got history between David and the Lord. David's prayer is personal. David's prayer is also pointed. He says, I want you to consider me. I want you to answer me. I want you to light up my eyes and show me what's going on here, Lord. David is doing what Noah just talked about in the previous service just a moment ago. We ought to ask and it will be given. We ought to knock and it will be opened. We ought to seek and we will find. That is what David is modeling right here in this passage. And then finally, we see that David's prayer is preventative. And he is saying, if you do not intervene, we are doomed. He's saying, God, if your heavenly hands do not touch what this is going on here, then we will remain in helplessness and hopelessness apart from your touch. You ever pray those kind of prayers? God, if you don't show up, I got nothing in the tank. Some of y'all saying that driving a Kroger back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Many people throughout scripture have shown us how do we retreat to the Lord. I think about the blind man who is sitting on the side of the road when the crowd passes by. Who does he cry out in the middle of his wrestling? He cries out, son of David, have mercy on me to Jesus himself. Whenever the paralytic is laid up on his bed, his four friends pick him up and throw him over the shoulder, carrying him to a crowded home, lower him through the roof. Who are they trying to get him a front row seat with? Jesus. When the, the disciple Peter had abandoned his call to ministry and returned back to fishing after the death of his favorite friend, Jesus, who did he jump out of the boat, swimming all the way to shore to go see? Jesus. 
When Hannah in the Old Testament was longing to have a son, some moms in the room are resonating with this. Man, longing to have a son. Where did she go? She found herself at the temple, on her face crying, and I mean ugly crying, laying it out before the Lord, saying, Lord, I need you to intervene. Some of you in the room are saying, I hear that, Corey. I can wrestle well. I've been doing that for a long time. But the question is, have you been retreating well? Can I teach you how to retreat well? I'm not, I'm not fancying this. It's 101, very basic. The first step in retreating well is this. You gotta carve out time. You think David wrote Psalm 13 in science class? Maybe, when he was waiting for the bell to ring, maybe he was there. No, David is a full-time king, a full-time husband, full-time father, full-time warrior, all of it. And this man found time in the middle of his busy schedule to sit down and retreat with the Lord. Surely every one of us in the room can do the same. So you've got to carve out time. You've got to make a moment in your day, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is for you, to say, I'm going to put everything to the side, phones, family, job, all that stuff and say, I'm gonna sit and meet with the Lord. I'm gonna retreat to Jesus. The second thing is, what do you do in that retreating time? You gotta share what's going on in your life, man. David shows us this. He is just honest and blunt and real about what he is struggling and working through. And you've gotta be able to do this. I don't know if it's talking out loud on a walk at Shelby Farms or in your neighborhood. I don't know if it's writing it down on a pen and paper in your house like it is your own personal prayer journal. I don't know. You gotta do what works for you, but you gotta find a time and a way for you to be able to share with the Lord about what's going on in your life. And then finally, you've gotta give Jesus, the third step, give the Lord the freedom to speak into your life. You gotta carve out the moment for the Lord to have the freedom to speak. And I'll be honest, the best way to do that is by allowing yourself to sit and marinate in the word of God. I read this morning, Deuteronomy 6, and it talks about how he says, if you're gonna follow me, you ought to bind this word on your hands, on your head, in your home, all over. It ought to be everywhere around you. You ought to have the word of God around. I'm encouraging church today if you're gonna retreat well, it begins with carving out that time, sharing what's going on in your life, but then allowing the Lord to speak. And that is exactly what we see the Lord does here. You see, David retreated with the Lord, asking him to enlighten his eyes, seeking the Lord, saying, Lord, would you please show me what is going on around me? David moves into a spot where now he writes the last two verses of Psalm 13 where he is rejoicing with eyes wide open. If you're taking notes today, the last part of this is he moves from wrestling into retreating and into rejoicing. Psalm 13, verses five and six, this is gold. He says, but... And this is in the midst of all of that stuff in verse one and two and three and four. He says, but I have trusted in the Lord in his steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to the Lord. David has all the reason to sing and shout and get happy before the Lord because he is reminded of how God has been faithful and true and loving to him in his past. 
Here's what's unique. The situation has not been solved. I don't believe that before he finished writing verse six, all his problems were gone in that moment. What I know is this, is the Lord had enlightened his eyes to see, like it says in Ephesians chapter one, would you show me, would you peel back the curtain, would you give me a backstage pass here and allow me to see from your, your perspective, Lord. David is now writing the last part of this song with a new song in his heart. He is rejoicing in the Lord. And David has every reason to sing his praises. David has every reason to sing the praises to the Lord. Think about the ways that God has dealt bountifully, as it says in the last part. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How has God been bountiful towards David? I think about on his passive. This is David's timeline, and at the very beginning is his birth. I think about this. God anointed David to be king one day while he was still a teenager. God empowered David to defeat Goliath before the gruesome army of the Philistines. God assigned David to join Saul's inner circle as a musician and as a friend. God elevated David from the hands of his enemies throughout his life. And then God delivered him and establish him as the king over Israel for 40 years. God also promised that one day the Messiah would come and be born through the descendants of David. I call this David's bounty list. I don't get to use bounty very often in my circle of influence, so I try to reword it wherever I can. So when I see the word bountiful, I'm gonna change it to bounty list for us today. And I'm gonna be honest, every believer in the room has their own personal bounty list where they should be able to praise the Lord for the ways he has dealt with them in abundant blessings throughout their life. For me, I think about it. God saved me when I was seven years old at Smyrna Baptist Church in Burleson, Tennessee. God gave me the best mom and dad I could ever ask for. Are they perfect? No. Are they awesome? Yes, right here. God allowed me to grow up when Land Before Time, Super Nintendo, and baseball were doing real good. That was my life. God surrounded me with some of the most influential friends and mentors in my life throughout middle school, high school, college, and ministry, and beyond. God called me to ministry when I was a sophomore in college. God brought me to Bellevue to serve under so many incredible leaders at Bellevue and along so, so many of you. I have a thousand reasons to sing his praises. And I look back on my timeline and I say, look how God has been faithful. Look how God has been true. I'm gonna cling to his steadfast love in one hand and his salvation in the other and my faith will not be shaken because I am reminded of how he has been faithful every step of the way. And that's why in spite of verse one and two, I can still say I trust God, I rejoice in God and I will sing to God because I know he is faithful. And I tell you, church, today, every one of you, if you are a believer in Christ, if he has saved and redeemed you, and you've experienced all of the heavenly blessings that are found in Ephesians chapter one, that you've been adopted, redeemed, forgiven, his grace has been lavishly placed upon you, you have all the reason to sing and shout his praises today. You have a bounty list as long as anyone else in this country. So here's the question. How will you respond today in the midst of your wrestling that you have been walking through? 
David gives us a clear example to follow. It begins with wrestling, it moves into a spot of retreating, and then it finishes with shouting of praise. He will turn your wrestling into rejoicing, your complaints into a course, when you simply meet him at the cross and say, Lord, I trust you. You know what's cool in the middle of the storms of life? You don't hear a lot of stories about the disciples crossing the, the Galilee Sea with, uh, you know, it was a sunny day, the water was great, they were skiing. You know, you don't hear about that story too often. You only hear about the storms, right? Because in the storms, in those hard moments, are the moments where you get to grow a little bit closer, grow a little bit deeper, and learn a little bit more about the Lord. He does things in the valley that can only be explained through him. He creates mountaintop moments in the middle of the valley. Are you with me? Whenever I was in the Philippines, I told you it was a hard summer. I came back, I lost 20 pounds in two months. You're like, well, you put them back on? All right. I lost 20 pounds in two months. I came back, I was physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, but I had kept a journal through the whole journey. And at the end of the summer, I had wrote down, you can see, maybe you can see, yeah. I wrote, and I put five things I learned this summer, and I wrote down 10, yeah. Five things I learned this summer. The first one is this, I said, uh, discipleship at the very top. Discipleship begins with evangelism. The Lord just taught me that if I'm gonna be mentoring and discipling people, I ought to be starting that with sharing the gospel with them and hopefully leading new believers in what it looks like to live for the Lord. Our young adult ministry does a phenomenal job of that. I learned that I need to be ready in and out of season to preach, to minister. I just need to be ready because you don't know when the Lord's gonna call you to do something. I also learned that I need to be sober in spirit and be guarded in what I put into my heart and what I put into my ears and what I'm seeing. I need to be so guarded in my spirit. I saw that the Lord has his heart set on all the nations, not just USA, Corey O'Hara. It's all the nations. The Lord has set his attention and his gaze and his salvation to all people. I learned this through this mission trip, big time. The Lord also showed me about what it means to be a world Christian, growing in my biblical worldview. He taught me about what it looks like to see the Holy Spirit go before me in my ministry, to go with me in my ministry, empowering me for it, but then also going behind me to clean up all the stuff I mess up, you know? The Lord taught me that my testimony is so important, meaning God has given every one of us a story to tell that brags about how God has worked in our life, the bounty list, right? He taught me about spiritual leadership, about taming the tongue, still learning that one, and then finally, suffer and comfort, and this is a big one. I learned that, man, my suffering as a believer can really escalate quick. But what I also learned is that his comfort in my suffering outmatches it every single time. I tell you this, because there's things in that summer that I learned that I would have never have known or experienced if I hadn't gone through two months in the Philippines. And some of you, I'm not saying you should go chasing storms. I'm not saying you should go chase the wrestling moments I'm just telling you, there is great joy and great reward even in the middle of the struggle. I just wanna encourage you. And just like my sister would say, I know the eight hour drive is long, but I promise the beaches are on the other side. I tell you today, I know the wilderness is a long way. The wilderness is hard. I'm just telling you, the Lord has great plans on the other side. I went to two funerals this weekend. One of them was Phil Newberry, who was my boss when I was out at Arlington, and he's, man, such a legend in my eyes. Another guy that I went to a funeral for was Adair Hardy. And uh, Adair, he was born in 1929. He was, I think, in his mid-90s, early 90s, and um, he 
he had served faithfully in middle school longer than I've been alive. I mean, that was his wheelhouse. And uh, man, I just look at him as a legend in my eyes. I just think he's a giant in the faith. But I went to his funeral, I picked up the bulletin, and I'm not kidding, I looked inside, and the first thing on the first whole page on this side over here is Psalm 13, typed out. Isn't that crazy? That's wild, that's a God moment for me. I was like, all right, we preaching that for sure. We, we staying with that passage, okay? But I went up and talked to Miss Faye and, and even her son as well and just said, hey, why is Psalm 13 significant for Adair? And she said, you know, he'd been battling sickness for a while and was working through uh, just ready to go home, to step into eternity. He was ready to go. He'd been a faithful believer and was ready to go see the Lord. But the Lord had just yet to answer that promise, answer that prayer. And so... He was frustrated, he was down, he was sad. And Miss Faye finally read him Psalm 13. And she said his whole demeanor changed from that point on to the day that he passed and stepped into eternity. His joy, his attitude, his outlook, his speech, everything was radically different after he heard Psalm 13. And this is what she said. She said, he'd been living in verse one for far too long. He needed to make his way on down to verse six. <laughs> Today, there's many of you in the room who have been living in verse one for far too long. You've been saying how long, a whole bunch, but you haven't been saying, I will trust and I will sing and I will rejoice to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Church, I encourage you today to wrestle well to retreat to the well and find yourself rejoicing with a new song in your heart. I believe there's three people in the room today. One person may say, hey, life is good. Right now, the biggest wrestle match in your life is trying to get to church on time with you and your spouse. That's the biggest fight. And you're doing all right, man. Life is good. I'm here to tell you that you ought to today sing his praises and it ought to be a shout in your heart when we get up to sing worship in just a few moments. You ought to be praising the Lord and you ought to take Psalm 13 and file cabinet that bad boy in the back and hang on to it because you know that it's not gonna be a yellow brick road for the whole journey. And at some point when you encounter the struggle, you need to be ready to wrestle well following the example we find in David's life, Psalm 13. There's others in the room here today who would say, man, I'm a believer, but I'm gonna be honest, life is hard. Life is hard. I'm struggling. And I don't wanna be honest with everybody in the room, but I wanna be honest with the Lord. I, it is hard in this moment. Today, I'm gonna be honest with you, this sermon is for you. <laughs> 